Some people can be a bit resistant to invitations, can't they? But persistence pays off. Today we're going to look at a story from the older part of the Bible and it's found in Chronicles. Now for those of you who've been doing your 20 minutes in the chair, maybe you've come across Chronicles and you're thinking, what? He's going to talk to us about lists of names going on and on and on. No, don't worry, Chronicles is a fascinating book and we're going to be looking at two Chronicles and uh, we're going to be looking at a story, a story about a remarkable invitation. Well, let's set the scene for this a little bit. The background is really a pretty sorry tale. A sorry tale of people going their own way and rejecting God. A sorry tale of leaders completely compromised in their leadership and uh, leading their people astray in some circumstances. Some of those leaders started out well but then dropped the ball along the way. Others simply had initial success and then pride got the better of them. There were others that um, tolerated corruption amongst the people that they were leading but still tried to put on a pretense of leading well. And there were some that were just plain bad, completely rejected God and abused their privilege of leadership. Our story begins when the situations got pretty terrible. The king leading the country immediately before our story starts had gone into the temple, sold off some of the furniture from God's temple, wrecked the rest of it, locked the doors to the temple and shut down the worship of God in the country. He'd actually gone around the city of Jerusalem and set up shrines on the corner of every street to other gods so that the one true God, our God, was not able to be worshipped by the people in that city or in that nation. Let's pick it up when the next king arrives on the scene. And it's uh, starting out in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, right at the beginning. We'll have that first uh, slide up here. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and he repaired them. Now the reference here to his father David is in fact referring to generations before, not his biological father. But King David was a great king, described by God himself as a man after my own heart. As we look at this story, try to focus, as the story unfolds, on the hearts of the main characters as we go through. Hezekiah calls the priests and the Levites together. Levites were helpers in the temple and he asked them to get themselves right, first of all. And then once they'd got themselves right before God, to go into the temple and get the temple right, clean it up. And he explains that disobeying God has led to death and captivity for the people of the country. And there's a sense of urgency in his tone. We've got to put this right, is the the driving idea behind Hezekiah's leadership. The next um, passage that we come to says... He's talking to the Levites and he says, My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him. 
and serve him, to minister before him and to burn incense. So Hezekiah reminds these workers that in fact they hold a place of honour, even though they're helpers. They serve and minister before God. So they get to work enthusiastically. They even call their relatives together and they say, hey, join us, get yourself right with God first and then pitch in and help us clean the temple up. And they got stuck in. They had to throw out an enormous amount of rubbish. And then they put everything back in its right place. It took them 16 days to clean the mess up and get the temple right. The next thing that happens in the story is really important and particularly interesting considering the circumstances of the history of the people leading up to this point. Hezekiah decides, and we see this in this next little passage, that a sin offering to atone for all of Israel before God is required. So Hezekiah calls the city officials in Jerusalem together and along with the priests and the Levites, they actually say sorry to God for all of the wrong things that have been done. Sorry for the sins of the people in regard to the temple, in regard to the kingdom and in regard to the whole country. They make a sin offering. Now as the offering begins, as we see in the next passage, as the offering began, singing to the Lord began also. It was accompanied by trumpets and the instruments of David, the king of Israel. The whole assembly bowed in worship and while the musicians played and the trumpets sounded, they were worshipping God. Remember last Sunday? We had trumpets sounding in church last Sunday. We were worshipping God. After asking God to forgive them, they held a worship celebration, singing, music, and they all bowed down together and worshipped God and they worshipped with gladness. Now it's one thing to say sorry, but it's another to change your behaviour and Hezekiah calls for that next thing. He says to everyone, dedicate yourselves to God. Change the way you're living and live for God. Notice that as king he could have compelled them to behave in certain ways, but he didn't. He actually knew that God wanted their hearts. He wanted this to come from the heart. So we see that in the next passage of scripture, the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings and all those whose hearts were willing bought burnt offerings. The people of Jerusalem responded so incredibly that there were offerings in abundance. The priests couldn't handle it all. In fact, they had to call on the help of the Levites. Now, a side note here is that the Levites weren't actually qualified to help the priests in this particular part of the temple ceremonies. But the writer makes a side note and says, but it was okay because the Levites had been more conscientious, more conscientious in preparing themselves before God than even the priests had been. So God was looking at the hearts of the people, not the, their qualifications, not their um, technical qualifications. And he allowed and was happy with the Levites to serve because they'd been getting themselves right in right relationship with God. God is really interested in the attitude of the heart 
more than whether we're exactly qualified for the task. So worship at the temple was re-established. In the next passage, we see that Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. They were excited and everybody involved was glad. Now, the temple was back in action and there was hope for the nation. A pathway back to God had been re-established. Here at Door of Hope, we talk about the hope pathway, a pathway towards relationship with God. So the king and the people um, that worked out a plan together and they decided to do something pretty radical. They were so excited and enthusiastic about this pathway to God that had been re-established that they decided they were going to invite the whole country to come and celebrate Passover at Jerusalem. Even the northerners were going to be invited. Now, the situation was that the northern part of the country had been raided by the Assyrians and many of the people had been killed and carted off into captivity. But there were some there. There was still a remnant that had escaped from that process and they were going to invite them and everybody else to come down to Jerusalem for the Passover. In the next passage of Scripture, we see that the plan that they cooked up seemed right to the king and to the whole assembly. They decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan, calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. It had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. In other words, the the history books that they had available to them from all the previous kings and so on hadn't held a celebration of the Passover across the nation like this before. So they got busy and they drew up the invitation and they sent it out by courier. There wasn't any Facebook or even email in those days. Take a look at this next video. Invitations have to be appropriate, don't they? And um, an effective invitation comes from the heart. And he had plenty of heart. Technique was probably a little lacking. The king and his officials, they wrote an excellent invitation. We're not going to look at it all, but it came from the heart. And we're just going to look at a little bit here on this next passage of Scripture. At the end of their invitation, they said this, If you return to the Lord, your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. So the invitation went out, but the king and his officials were not able to control if it was accepted or not. Let's look at the next passage. The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh, as far as Zebulun, but the people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, Some from Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. So the hand of God prompted many to accept because God's interested in the attitude of the heart. He doesn't compel people. So we have control over our inviting, but not over their accepting. It's really a matter of the heart. 
Well, a huge crowd accepted the invitation and turned up, and they were a motley group. Many had not prepared properly. They didn't know what temple worship was all about. They hadn't got themselves right with God before turning up. A bunch of foreigners turned up as well who knew nothing about God and nothing about temple worship. It was chaos, but it was a chaos of hope. Even if they were not in right relationship with God, they were seeking him and their hearts were full of hope. And Hezekiah steps up at this point. He realises that this could go badly. Maybe God would be displeased with this motley group that had turned up to worship him and hadn't been well prepared. So he prays, and you see here the heart of Hezekiah. May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who sets their hearts on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if they're not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Well, there was a huge worship celebration as they celebrated the Passover together and it went on for a week. But it wasn't enough. They wanted more. So the next passage we see that the whole assembly agreed to celebrate the festival seven more days. So for another seven days, they celebrated joyfully. Well, that's a 14-day church service. Maybe we should do that around Door of Hope here every now and again. As we read ahead in the Bible... We see that God's rescue plan for the people unfolds and we see that the sacrificial system, the temple worship system that these people were operating under is actually fulfilled and completed in the coming of Jesus, God's own son, the perfect once for all sacrifice for sin. The Bible tells tells us that if we believe in Jesus, we will be forgiven, saved and restored to right relationship with God, the Father. Now this salvation is available for everyone who believes in Jesus. The perfect, once for all sacrifice for sin, freeing us from guilt and allowing us entry to heaven to spend eternity with God. But you know, our belief in Jesus has to be from the heart. God's interested in the attitude of our heart. He's looking for us to seek forgiveness and to allow the sacrifice of Jesus to set us free. This next passage from the story, we see that there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there'd been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people and God heard them for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. So what stops us from inviting the whole country to come to church and meet Jesus? To find the one that makes the pathway toward God one that is filled with hope and the ultimate reward of eternity with God. I think we need a change of heart. A change of heart that overcomes our fears of rejection, our fears of ridicule and scorn, and our fears of inadequacy or being um, ill-prepared to serve God. 
How do we make an appropriate invitation? From the heart and make it specific. Let me give you an example. I think you'll all relate to this. You know, um, I met somebody in the street recently and had a little conversation with them, hadn't seen them for quite some time, and as we parted, I said, we must get together and have coffee sometime. And the other person nodded and we sort of waved and walked off. But, you know, both of us, as we walked away from that conversation, knew that there was no real intention to do with getting together and having coffee sometime. It was more like a courtesy invitation, sort of saying, I appreciate you, but I kind of have no intention of catching up with you. If the invitation had been more specific, it would have revealed more about my heart. If I'd said, how about having coffee with me next Saturday morning at 10 o'clock down at Cube at the seaport? Suddenly the conversation changes because the person responds to that specific invitation by saying, oh, oh that'd be great, but like, I can't make it um, at 10. Maybe we could get together at 3. And we negotiate an opportunity to have the meeting the chance of, the likelihood of the invitation being accepted is enormously higher when the invitation is specific because the specificness of the invitation reveals the real intent of my heart. So when we invite people to church, we shouldn't be saying, you know, you should come to church at Door of Hope sometime. How about saying what's really on your heart? How about meeting me at 10 to 10 next Sunday morning out in the foyer and we'll sit together in church next Sunday? Or maybe I could pick you up from your place if you're struggling with transport. The more specific the invitation, the more likely it is that it's going to be accepted because it reveals the heart. As I prepared this message, particularly yesterday, I was sitting in the study most of the day yesterday, studying God's word and um, I remembered the, the incredible love that God has for his people as this story unfolded, his incredible compassion and mercy. And, and, and I realised the, the passion and commitment of Hezekiah as he prayed for his people. He was so concerned that their ill-preparedness would, would be offensive to God and, and he prayed for them, that their that God would see their heart, that they were actually seeking after God. And then, and then I saw the compassion of God in response where he recognised the heart of the people and responded to that. It brought me to tears to think of how merciful he is and how pleased he would be if we were radically inviting at Door of Hope, like the people at Jerusalem, on that occasion, inviting the whole country to come. Then my mind turned to the Friday, just gone, and I realised that only that day I'd missed an opportunity to invite somebody to come to church. You see, there are conversational cues that can trigger us to invite, and I'd missed one because I hadn't got myself really ready to serve God as well on Friday as I could have. That cue was this, these words or words to this effect, things are not going well. You see, on Friday morning, a lady came to me and talked to me about her nephew's drug addiction to ice. 
and she was explaining how devastating this was on the family and, and the impact that it had on her and how worried she was about him. And she directly asked me if Door of Hope had a drug rehab program that could help her nephew. And I said to her, look, I'm sorry, Door of Hope doesn't. And I, I gave some guidance and some advice about where she might be able to find some help. But I missed the opportunity to invite that person to church because she was saying, things aren't going well in my life, in my family life, and I'm concerned. And there was a conversational cue where I could have said, hey, how about coming along the door of hope? And then my mind went to a few months ago when I was thinking about another conversational cue, and this was words to the effect of, I was not prepared for. You see, a person had come to me and explained that um, they'd, had, they'd had a sudden breaking off of their engagement only um, months before their wedding, and they were completely devastated by this and had not been prepared for this thing to happen in their lives. And I talked with them and I encouraged them and gave them some counselling and some support, but I missed the opportunity in that conversational cue to invite them to come to Door of Hope. And then my mind went to a couple of weeks ago when there was a person that was talking to me about, I'm not from around here. This person had moved to Launceston only recently to be a full-time carer for an, uh, an Ill elderly parent and they were talking to me about the challenges of relocating and the challenges of being a full-time carer and the implications of all of that. And I listened to the story and um, empathised with them and helped them in certain ways. But again, I missed seeing the invitational cue that was there in that conversation that I'm new around here. I don't know anybody. I don't have any connections in Launceston. There was an opportunity for me to invite that person to come to church. Now I suspect I'm not the only person who misses cues because I'm not as prepared to serve God as I could be. I also know that there'd be many people who would accept an invitation if only we made many more than we currently do. And we would see a large number of acceptances. Sure, there'd be people who wouldn't accept but in the end, we have control over our invitations. We don't have control over their accepting. I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you pray for me that I'd be stronger in invitations in the days and months and years ahead? And I'm going to pray for you the same sort of thing. Let's pray. God, many of us are less prepared to serve you than we want to be and we're sorry about that. I thank you that if our hearts are seeking you, you're pleased to have our service anyway. Help us not to be negligent in our service. Help us to get our hearts right with you. Help us by the power of your spirit to clean out the temple of our hearts. Forgive us for sinning against you and restore us to right relationship through Jesus.
Help us to worship you with passion and conviction. Make us so full of joy and thanks that we are radically inviting of everyone we meet. Move among our city and nation and turn hearts toward accepting our invitations to meet Jesus. May they come in droves. May you forgive them for being unprepared to worship you. And would you heal all whose hearts seek after you. Lord, bless your people and may our prayers reach heaven, your holy dwelling place. Amen. Maybe um, as I've talked today, there's somebody here who hasn't um, ever accepted Jesus as Lord of their life and you'd like to do that this morning. So I'm just going to ask everybody to bow their heads and if there's somebody here this morning who would like to accept Jesus into their life and have that freedom from sin, that special place of restoration with relationship with God and eternity in heaven, would you put your hand up right now if you sense that nudge in your spirit, in your heart, just pop your hand up and I'll be able to see that and I'll be able to pray for you in a moment. It's just an opportunity, just for a minute or two, if anybody wants to put their hand up. Okay, let's pray together. As I pray, why don't you follow along and pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for my wrongdoing against you and for not living in a way that's pleasing to you. Thank you that you died on the cross for me, that by believing in you, I have new life, a life of freedom from sin and eternity with you in heaven. I place my trust in you and accept you as my Lord and Saviour and ask for your help to live in a way that's pleasing to you for the rest of my life. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer this morning, I'd love to meet you and get you connected with people who can help you with next steps in your journey and, and encourage you and pray for you. So come down the front and talk to me afterwards. Thanks for listening. Bless you.